Living a life born from God. What does it mean to just be born from God? I've preached on this before, but I want to just go a little bit more in depth on this and touch some of the difficult passages in 1 John chapter 3, where the Bible simply says that he that is born of God does not commit sin, and he that does commit any sin is of the devil, and so forth. What does all of that mean? Uh, and also we can go and look at Titus there and we just see how grace teaches us to live holy and soberly in this world. And I'm also going to talk about how we purify ourselves as Jesus Christ is pure and what purifies us. Now when we look at what is going on around us and we see all the things that's going on in the world, I mean there's turmoil in different places in the world, People live in fear. And just by having fear and not knowing what you're going to do, uh, you might feel, I've got some doubts and I wonder if I'm not missing God. Am I wrong somewhere? Lord, have I sinned? How do I now fall short of your glory? And how should I now confess these sins? And, uh, you know, we, we fall into those ruts so many times. Let us pray together as we're going to just start the service. Father, I want to thank you that you will speak boldly through me today and that I will be able to teach this word clearly um, today and that many people will be blessed by this message. Amen. I want to start out by reading from 1 John and we're going to read 1 John chapter 2 and from verse 28. Now I want to start out by saying the concept that I'm touching on is a difficult concept to explain uh, but I'm going to give it my best shot and like you've heard I've prayed I believe that I'm empowered by God and I ask him for his power of his spirit to help me to explain this to you. It says here, And now little children abide in him, and when he shall appear, that we might have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. For if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. Let's read it again. And now little children abide in him. So what is the command here? Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. So what is the command? Abide in Jesus. Find your abode. Live in Christ. And now little children, abide in him. Who is the him that he is re referring to here? Let us go back a little bit more. It says here, in verse 26 and these things have i written unto you concerning them that seduce you in other words there are people that want to get you to to get out of the message of jesus as the christ they want to help you through their teachings and their way of doing to get salvation and how to be saved they want to bring things forth that can teach you how to have a holy life and how to be saved he says but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you and you need not any man to teach you but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Okay, so what is he saying? He says here that we should not go to any other person that would basically teach us on how to have life. 
this teaching here does not talk just about doctrine. It doesn't talk about a classroom setting where you hear teachings. The teaching here would be uh, to teach a person uh, salvation or to manifest, the better way of saying this is manifest a life, a good life. So it says here, listen, there are people that has come to you and they have brought many different teachings to you. They want to bring different uh, uh, plans for salvation. But he says here from verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. What did they hear from the beginning? Jesus was raised from the dead. He is Lord. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. What he's saying, and if you look at that from chapter 1, is he's saying if you believe this certain doctrine, which is the doctrine of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and that Jesus was raised from the dead and offers eternal life to people as complete humans, if you remain in that, your fellowship, you will fellowship with the Father and the Son. That fellowship is not in darkness, but it is unto the manifestation of light and life by the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, he says, and this is the promise that you, um, that he promised unto us even eternal life. So he says, listen, man, he's promised us eternal life. As you remain in the original teaching of the resurrection, Jesus, Lord, trust him, believe him, he brings salvation. As you believe in him, you know you have the promise of eternal life. This promise of eternal life will uh, be yours and your fellowship. You will fellowship with eternal life. You'll fellowship with the Spirit bringing forth fruit in you. He says, and you, and, and then he goes on, verse 26, these things I've written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So there were people now seducing the church, telling them, listen man, this message of the resurrection, he doesn't know how to teach you a holy life. It cannot produce a holy life. Let us teach you what a holy life is. And then these people try to teach a mixture between uh, Greek philosophies and Gnosticism and Judaism. So it was like uh, Hellenized Jews that mixed in New Age doctrines and uh, that of Jesus and what they were basically saying is listen you don't have to believe in the resurrection this is what these people were saying there's deeper knowledge don't believe in this resurrection you are already holy you've always been holy and Jesus has simply come to give us an example of how to lay down our lives it's not about a resurrection what they taught in Acts uh, in, in 1st John here was listen this is simply about your spirit and where your spirit is going to go uh, uh, one day. It's about you move from God and you're moving back to God and you have a time on this earth where you are learning certain things, a kind of an incarnation, uh, a, a reincarnation kind of a teaching and you move on to higher levels. It's not about a bodily resurrection, all those kind of things. The, the body is basically evil and it is that it, it limits you. So, 
shun this whole thing about bodily resurrection and all of those kind of things. Forget about that. Jesus wasn't even a real human. This is what these people taught. He was just a spirit. He looked as if he was human, but he was spirit, especially in the resurrection. The resurrection, Jesus, talking about this message of the resurrection, it is just the spirit of Jesus appearing to people. He wasn't truly flesh. All matter is evil. All flesh has got limitations. So let us teach you on how to live a true holy life. And they came in on how you should live. And listen, this is now John. He says this. <laughs> let that therefore abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So he says, listen, man, in the Father and in the Son is nothing evil. The fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus. Stick to this original message. Don't go over to any other thing. Stick to the simple resurrection message. Stick to that. And your fellowship will be in eternal life, spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. This is what Jesus will bring forth with forth in you. And this is the promise that we have. Even eternal life. These things have I written concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. What is the anointing? It is the power of the Holy Spirit on account of the resurrected Jesus Christ. That is, where did the anointing come, come to? It was poured out on flesh. And you need not that any man teach you. In other words, you don't need another teaching but the message of the resurrection on how to have experiential knowledge of the life of God in your life today. This message of the resurrection shall bring forth life in you. The message of Jesus as raised, wherein we have the hope of the same, wherein who and what God is today is manifested by God in us and the end, it is God's work in us. We don't need other things. This is all we need. It is not barren. It's not a barren message that cannot produce life. It says it teaches you of all things and is truth and no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. Stay in the message. That's what he's talking about. This is the command. Abide in him that when he shall appear, you may have confidence. So what he's saying, listen, when he appears, you will have confidence that you will be part of the resurrection. And as you do this righteous thing, which is to abide in Jesus, you'll find that Jesus will bring forth fruit in you. Now you'll have confidence in the day of the resurrection, the resurrection, nothing to be ashamed of as you simply believe in Jesus. He brings forth the fruit. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. So what he says is, if you know that Jesus, the man Jesus is righteous today, in his flesh before the Father. You who do righteousness, which is to believe in Jesus, is righteous as he is righteous. It does not mean he that lives a perfect life on the earth and have no uh, a, a sign of mortality or sin in his life, uh, he is righteous as Jesus is righteous. That is not what it means. 
And I'm going to prove that to you as we read on. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. So now are we called the sons of God? It does not, might not appear to people that we are the sons of God now. It's because they don't know the resurrected Jesus and how these things work. And then it goes on. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God? We are now the sons of God. Sons of God would be understood as absolutely perfect spirit, soul, and body. But it says, It does not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, that we are now the sons of God and what we shall be in the resurrection as manifest sons of God who we truly are, it does not yet appear now, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Okay. Now, listen to the gospel here. How do we purify ourselves? How do we live in purity? By having this hope in us, that when he appears, we shall be like him. And what we shall be, this full glorified manifested sons of God might not be appearing now meaning what appears now our mortality and shortcomings is what's appearing now but we don't live by what we see is appearing now we know that as he is so are we for when he comes we shall be like him what that means is that the power and the anointing that is inside us at his appearing shall manifest us that we shall be fully spirit, soul, and body, just like him at his appearing, for we shall see him fully as he is. And that seeing, I don't mean it just means sees, it means we will see him in us fully. That is what it also refers to, I believe what it is um, that, that's what that's my opinion about that passage so it says here and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure so what is the commandment abide in jesus when you abide in jesus you don't need anything to bring forth holy holiness in you the anointing the enablement of grace shall bring it forth in you. You need nothing, nothing else to bring it forth in you. This anointing shall bring it forth in you. All you need to do is abide in him. They wanted these people not to abide in Christ as they were taught from the beginning, which was to have the hope of bodily resurrection. It says, he that has this hope of bodily resurrection and perfection manifesting in them by the power of God and not our own power, they shall in the day of Jesus find that there's nothing to be ashamed of. They shall be fully like Jesus bodily, having the fullness of the Godhead bodily manifesting in them. Paul says this also in Colossians. He says that the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus 
and we are complete in him. Do we see the completeness? No. But are we complete? Yes. Should we now change any of our doctrines because we see that short, shortcoming or seemingly not the full manifestation of it now and now we need to add other doctrines to it? No. We keep to the simple doctrine and we need nothing else. This anointing shall teach us, in other words, manifest the fullness. This teaching doesn't talk about a classroom filling your mind with knowledge. It will be, talks about, it teaches the manifestation, how to manifest, not by our works, by, by, but by the power of the resurrection. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. In other words, he who doesn't abide in him. How do you abide in him? By faith, by belief in the original message. That's what we've been reading here all the time. He that uh, commits sin, in other words, he that says, no, 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 there's something wrong with us. This work is not complete. We are now saying I'm a, a committer of sin. I, I walk not in belief in Jesus only, I am going to continue with some other mixture message and some change of the things. He also is a transgressor of the law. Why? Because the law points us to believe in Jesus. So you, nice talking to Jews here, a, a Hellenized Jews that has got a mixture of everything in here that is new age and all those kind of things. He's saying to them, listen, guys, <laughs> you also want to bring in the law here? and you don't want to abide in Christ, the law points to Christ. And if you are not believing in Christ and abiding in him, you're also a transgressor of the law, and you are now committing sin, and he's come to take away sin. So believe in Jesus. man. That is what he's basically talking about. Now, what I want to stand still at here is verse 3. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Now, as we have the hope in Jesus, you purify yourself by having that hope. It's like um, every person that swims, if you swim, you know, you, if you are in the ocean the whole day, you'll find that your skin is very clean. He that swims in the ocean purifies himself. We don't find that when you swim in the ocean, you take out a, a piece of soap and then you start to wash yourself. It does not say that he that is in an ocean and swims a lot in the ocean and all the minerals that's in the ocean and all those kind of things and as it purifies the person is then once he's in the ocean heading for the shampoo and the soap and he that is in the ocean should now start washing himself that is not what it means he who has this hope the hope of the fact that the anointing of jesus the ability of God by the Spirit will present us perfect in the day of Jesus and that we shall see him as he is and we shall be perfect in that day and that that anointing brings forth fruit in us. We, we are purifying ourselves by having that hope. 
Our minds are being purified from the wrong beliefs that there is in this world. So all that we need to do, all that we need to do is to know this truth and believe in this simple gospel. That is all that we need to do. That is what this is all about. I want to go to First Peter. Um, one. And we're going to see the same thing. And I want to tell you that as you believe in this good news, you will find that it will not only pre uh, 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 present you perfect and holy in the day of Jesus, but you already find now, I want to call it like this, by miracle power called the anointing, how this spirit brings forth fruit in you. Okay. So when we read that passage and it says that he that abides in him does not sin, we should not go and look at our shortcomings and say, well, if I've got anything wrong in me, I wonder if I'm abiding in Jesus and all of that. No, as long as what you believe that Jesus died, he rose again, and that you shall be as he is in manifestation in that last day, but you are already a son now, but what you are now does not yet appear. What we shall be does not yet appear. What we shall be might not be showing now, but it doesn't mean that we are not that. It is not showing. But it shall show by the anointing. So let nobody come and teach you you lack anything. There's something wrong with your doctrine. There's something wrong with this belief in Jesus. Look, you've got maybe you were ill somewhere or you had an outburst of anger somewhere or you were fearing. You might live in, in, in uh, uh, you know, in South Africa here, we have reasons to fear about certain things. And you find this fear and now you find, oh my goodness, you know, people were robbing in our neighborhood and, you know, and armed robberies and whatever. Now you feel afraid. Now you've got that fear. Now you think, oh my goodness, there's something wrong with my gospel. I need to start to confess sins. And now you're open for other teaching on how to be afraid of or how to get rid of that fear. No, no, no. Stay in the simple gospel. Keep focusing on this gospel. Abide in Christ. Before I read First Peter, let us go to John 15. Talking about this abiding in, in, in Jesus. Jesus was already telling people even before he left, hey, abide in the good news. Abide in the grace. Abide in the resurrection message. Abide in me bringing things forth in you, not in you bringing forth. I want to explain abiding here. It says, I am the vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me." Therefore, it is not a sin to abide in the simple gospel. The simple gospel will bring forth fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, 
can you do nothing? So when the scripture teaches that those who are abiding in Jesus sin not, it is not saying that should you call yourself a Christian, you should start to live a holy life because then you are again the one that is doing the good work. What Jesus is saying is abide in me. What I'm teaching you, that I am the vine, you are the branches, that my father is the one and that I'm the one that will purify you and make you clean as you abide in me. That word has now already purified you. As what John now further explains in 1 John, what Jesus basically meant in, first, in John 15, he is saying as we have the hope of the resurrection, that message, the hope, he who has this hope in him, purifies himself even as he is pure. How do we purify ourselves? By abiding in Jesus. How does this purification come? By Jesus purifying us through the word that we should abide in him and believe this. And that purification also manifests in the form of fruit in our lives, of which the greatest would be love for your neighbor. Love for your neighbor was understood as um, John explained it as not excluding certain people groups from Jesus as also being their Messiah. That's what it talks about. It also brings forth a life where you're willing to help others and be good to them. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, kindness, all those kind of things as a result of the anointing that comes on account of the resurrected Jesus as we abide in that message and only in that message. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Okay, so First Peter says the same thing. First Peter 1. Let's read from verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of this world, but was manifested in the last times for you. Talks about Jesus that was now manifested in the last days for us. Who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead. So in other words, by Jesus, we are believing in the Father who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So what he's saying is, is Jesus came, the Father raised Jesus from the dead, so that we might now believe in the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So in other words, we are now putting our faith in the Father that raises the dead. It says that your faith and your hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love and the um, of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So what is he saying here? He says here that we are born again of incorruptible seed. We have a certain hope inside us. What is this hope? It is the hope of the resurrection. Let's read it again. We are born again of the incorruptible seed, the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we are born again of 
incorruptible seed, the word of God that abides forever. What is the word of God? The word of God is the message that God would bring Jesus and through Jesus is preached unto us the resurrection. So we are born again of this hope that we have um, that we have seen and which we have heard about. Let's read it again. Who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing that you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit. So how have we purified our souls? Through obeying the truth. What is the truth? That we can have hope in God that raises the dead. That's why the scripture says he that has this hope in him purifies himself. How do we purify our lives? By believing in Jesus and in the Father that raises the dead. And as we believe in that, we find the Spirit bring forth a holy life in us. I'm going to end off um, by, by reading Titus. We, we're going to have a shorter message today. Um, I just want to just share this because it's very important and this is very repetitive, but I find it that, that people struggle when it comes to sin. I've sinned. I'm a child of God. I'm not supposed to sin. And we need to get our mind into righteousness is to believe in Jesus. Committing sin is not to believe in Jesus. When you commit sin as you not believe in Jesus, you have give, been giving yourself over to your own flesh from where you would find the fruit of the flesh. But as you believe in Jesus, that hope purifies our flesh. And that is why we see the fruit of the Spirit as we believe in Jesus. If you see any of the fruit of the flesh in your life, simply go to God and say, Father, I just want to say, I've got the hope of the resurrection and your Spirit, the anointing, teaches my flesh a holy life. And I thank you that I can live in love for your gospel and have an expectation that is born from you and no one else. If you live in fear, if you find anxiety, if you find your mind drifting off to things that is not life-giving, let me tell you something. You will have an accusation that comes your way that says, no, you are sinning by simply believing the good news. No, you are not sinning by simply believing the good news. You are living in righteousness and you are righteous as he is righteous and he who does righteousness which is to believe in Jesus is righteous as Jesus is righteous although it might not fully appear now we need to understand that the scripture says that we prophesy in part we know in part we look as in a mirror dimly we're not seeing the full manifestation of that glory now. And if we don't see the full manifestation of that glory, it doesn't bring us to a conclusion that what we believe is wrong. It simply brings us to the conclusion that we are having a hope and that we continue in patience and we, we will see the salvation of our bodies in the day of the Lord. But we are already seeing the first effects of this in our lives glory to god glory to god let's go to titus it says here now it talks about uh, servants 
working for their masters. Maybe I should just get a different translation here. Let me find that. I do have some time. Um, going to go to Titus 2. I want to see if I can maybe find something like the message here. It says, guides to slaves in being loyal workers, a bonus to their masters, no back talk. So it says here, listen, man, uh, I want you to be loyal. I want you to be a bonus to your masters. Don't back chat them all the time. No petty thievery. In other words, don't steal this and that. And No. It says, then their good character will shine through their actions, adding luster to the teachings of our Savior, God. So what he's basically saying is, listen, I want you people that are having, that, that are basically slaves. This is what he was talking. He's talking to people that were owned by other people. And he says, don't talk back to your masters. This is an absolute opportunity to show the beauty of what you believe. You know, don't steal their stuff and don't talk back to them. It says God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation is now available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on godless, indulgent life and how to take a God-filled, God-honoring life. This, is a new, this new life is starting right now. Isn't that beautiful? I want to now read that very same to you in the, um, in the King James. This is, we, this is the passage we all know. It says, Servants, be obedient to your own masters and... Uh, to please them well in all things, not answering back again, not petty thievery, but showing in all fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Why? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has also appeared for the slave, slave master. That is what he's basically saying there. He says, so you that are slaves, I want you to know this. Do you know what? The grace of God that saves has also appeared not just for you that are the slaves but also for the slave master so even if if he is a slave master and you are a slave live in such a way that when they think of your doctrine when they think of god and this message of grace that they would say wow this is beautiful i also want this <laughs> it says for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared unto all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world looking now listen to this let me first do first 12 then 13 so he says listen the grace of god teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world so what is he saying to this to the to the servants here he says listen man i want you to know the grace of god you need to live soberly if you go and you're just against your master all the time you're not living soberly if you back chat all day you're not living soberly if you are busy with petty thieving and and doing things there against the master you are 
not sober. Now, you need to understand those uh, servants, they must have thought, well, I'm underpaid here. I'm a slave. I'm owned by this person. I'm just getting food for my work. I actually deserve more. And maybe they deserved more. And maybe if you look at what they deserved for the work they've done, the boss was actually stealing from them and now they're stealing back and those kind of things. He says, listen, you need to live soberly. And this is the sober living. The sober living is that Jesus also died for them. And that is what the grace of God teaches us. The grace of God teaches us that God has also died for them. And deny, when he was talking about denying worldly lusts, I think what they were, what they had to deny was this whole thing about the slave master and the slave and this all about worldliness and how much money you have and who's the boss and who's the slave and all those kind of things. If I get into depth into this, I would really not be loved. Um, if I teach what the context here is that Paul was talking about, especially if you're also going to um, to read some of Paul's other writings and when he talked about slaves of that time and that. It's like, Paul, you could have done better. But Paul was doing better than we could ever have thought because he was thinking soberly about this. And he was saying, man, th this, this master that is oppressing the slaves the only way wherein the slave can ever be free and the only way the master can ever be free is not in slavery or not slavery the true freedom is in salvation that comes by jesus so let us think soberly about these things that these people can see the gospel and from the gospel receive the gospel that is how paul thought of setting people free he says for the grace of god that bring salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that we should deny teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world how by looking there's a semicolon explaining how we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world how do we live soberly and righteously in this present world by looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So what Paul was saying to the slaves is, listen, I don't want you to become drunk now. I want you to be sober. This is the sober thing. Don't have your hope from your master and what he gives you. Have your hope from let your hope be in the resurrected Jesus and know that he has also appeared for the salvation of your master. Should we have this hope in us, we shall purify ourselves from this backbiting and stealing from the master and all this ungodliness for the grace, which is the appearing of Jesus for all people, will then Keep our lives in a place where we think soberly about our master and our boss and politics and all these kind of things. Mm. Let me read it the last time. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Semicolon. Semicolon basically says that the translators there uh, means that, and, and what they see, what was written in the Greek, is that the next part 
explains basically on how the first part takes place. It's a better explanation of what on what is said. And he explains how we live and how we 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 how the grace teaches us. What does grace, the resurrection power, teach us? It teaches us that the we should look for the resurrection, the blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, who will then also give the master a glorified body will give us a glorified body and you know what the quickest way when you can get your master as Paul would also direct masters to say to them listen you also under a master and give what is fair to your people is by getting the master to believe upon Christ don't aggravate the master he says don't don't become drunk now get the gospel to the master for the gospel is also for the master and the hope that you have in the resurrection is purifying you though you think it will not purify him that is what he's talking about he says nay hey, don't don't lose your mind over these things let us get back again and we will understand that scripture now even better first john 3 behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should now be called the sons of god this he has also bestowed upon the, the worker and slave, everybody. Therefore, the world knows us not because it has not known him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But, in other words, now it does not yet appear what we shall be. But now are we the sons of God. But we know that when he appear, we shall appear with him for we shall be as he is and every man that has this hope in him in other words he that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure peter says the same thing he that has this hope in him purifies himself unto love for the neighbor paul says it to titus he that has this hope in him purifies even the way he sees he sees a purification taking place, a soberness coming to the workplace. Isn't that amazing? So do we need any other doctrine? We need no other doctrine. We need the message of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, wherein he is Lord. Wherein he is Lord. Glory to God. I want to say to you that this message, to me as a person, has brought such change of life a change of how i think about people a change on how i deal with people it is just absolutely amazing on what it has done for me when we go and look at paul writing you know in um let, let me just find titus there again when he says pray for your leader listen to to this very same soberness that comes and says, listen, man, you're not a sinner if you believe the simple, simplest, simple gospel. And go to Titus again. I think it is in chapter 3. Listen to what he says here. He says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and to obey magistrates 
to be ready to every good work. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about Roman soldiers that hate Jews that rules over people. He says to them, put the mind that to be subject to those people, the powers and magistrates to be ready to do every good work. How will you be able to do that unless you are sober-minded? Okay? To speak evil of no man, to be no fighter, to be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. In other words, what they are saying is, I want to tell you, and I want, I want you to see this. Church, we need to see this. I so hope that people watch this message unto the end. It says, put in mind, put, put in mind to the church to be basically sober-minded, to be subject to principalities and powers, to these leaders. He says, because you were also like these leaders. How are these leaders? These leaders that you are under as the church, they are foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. Now it says, but after the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, mankind appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, it has saved us by the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which refers to the spirit that will raise us in the last day, the hope that we have now received, which he shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what is he saying here? He says, listen, don't lose your mind. Don't lose your mind when you have evil leaders. That's what he's saying. Don't lose your mind when you have evil leaders. Be kind. Be good. How? By, listen to what Paul does here, reminding them, listen, you were just like that, but when you got the hope of the resurrection the spirit was poured out on you and your life changed so how does the kingdom of god infiltrate this world by a people that are mindful and hopeful of the bodily resurrection from where they have kindness even to their enemies and so the enemies behold the gospel and those who want those to whom it becomes attractive will receive that and so be changed and so the evil that is inside them will also be taken away by them having the hope of the resurrection. That's the only way lasting change come. There's no other way. I find that when we see evil leaders, I, I remember in, in South Africa back years ago, oh my goodness, and I, and I don't want to say I'm perfect in this. Uh, sometimes, you know, your mind goes into a, a stress. But I remember in the old South Africa when when the whole old South Africa system was now collapsing, remember we were the church, uh, you know, the, the, we were Christians voting and, and all of this, the whole South African system, the whole, whole apartheid system was so greatly intermingled into the church. 
I, I'm not going to take time to explain that, but that is what it was. We felt that this is our land. We felt that this is our place. This is what God has given us. We, the Afrikaner, we are God's people. we God's nation. We took the scriptures like for Israel and whatever and righteousness in a nation and unrighteousness in a nation and how all of those things took place. We took it for ourselves. We believed that we were the light unto the darkness in Africa. We believed that we were the hope of civilization. Looking back, we real, I realized that is what was going on. But we've lost, we have not seen the message for what it truly was. And when we were there, there came the end of the apartheid system and what we felt. You know what we were thinking? We were thinking the communist, the antichrist is now going to become the president of the country. We're going to find the worst constitutions that is so liberal, killing everything, becoming our, our over us. It would be the end of us. We're going to be destroyed. That's what we thought. We went, voted. We were completely outnumbered, lost the election. And we realized as the church, and sadly some have still got to realize that, I'm just glad that God has helped me to start to realize that there's a, my hope is in the resurrected Christ. And I remember what a kind of a hooligan I was before I had the hope of the resurrection. And let my kindness be shown, not my mockery, but my kindness be shown towards those that are now corrupt, Thieves, hating one another, divisive, loving every evil thing. Let me be kind to them, for the kindness of God has appeared unto us and brought a brand new life. Let us have the hope of the resurrection, knowing that this kindness is also appearing unto them. And as it has changed us, it will change them, making the hope the gospel. Let us not lose our minds when we see uh, our leaders as evil. Let us not lose our mind. Let us be sober-minded, knowing the resurrection of Jesus. Let us not think, and this is the onslaught that the enemy brings to the grace message. Ah, this is a sinful message. It doesn't have the power to change things. Let us add to the message in many things uh, and think it's a weak message. It's not a weak message. It's a very, very, very powerful message. And it changes lives. Thank you that you've allowed me to serve you with this message. Please go and listen to this uh, a few times should you feel to do that. And another thing, there's something amazing about YouTube. You'll see at the bottom, there's a little like button, uh, a thumbs up button. If you click on it, it becomes blue. Uh, check that out. Now you'll see it. It's, it's just amazing. You click on it, it just really turns from gray to blue. It's, it's, it's true. Just do that. See if it works for you as well. Thank you so much for your love towards this ministry, those that support this ministry. Thank you so much for, uh, for your support and your love towards Dynamic Love Ministries. And more than that, thank you for your love and your faithfulness towards the gospel as I see you continuing in this message of grace. It's of great, great encouragement to uh, Eliana and I. God bless.